Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Ryan Clark, joined by Chris Reifer. Been a few weeks since you've heard from us, but we're back. We're back. Folks. We back. And uh, and we're on YouTube as well. Which, which was uh, just found revealed that out today. today. Uh, so I'm, I'm... Yes. I would not say this is my, like, YouTube get up face. Chris didn't get a I, chance I to do the TV makeup. Morning, but yeah. Nonetheless, yeah. I'm here and I'm apparently on YouTube, which I think is probably my YouTube debut. Yeah, it it is for for me too. I think I might Turns be somewhere else on YouTube. There's a lot of junk on here, to be honest. <laughs> like I'm not <laughs> sure a YouTube debut is something you want to brag about. Tom Bogert has been doing some YouTube work, so so that is our esteemed company. Uh, there is there's there's a lot of less esteemed company uh, here on 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 this this platform. Indeed, uh, it's it's good to to see the Valentine's Day banner above Chris Reifer's head here. Uh, the listeners on the podcast portion can't see it, but those of, of you on YouTube, yeah, better together. Isn't that absolutely Unlike adorable? <laughs> well, some would have argued they were better together, but yeah, yeah, that's the that's the whole thing. Um, so. It looks like you were on mute there for a second. So for, for whatever quip you may have really? made, I wasn't. Uh, it felt it, it fell on empty ears. So uh, but I just unmuted you. So it's okay. I think that was your fault. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, okay. because uh, on my end, I was I was live. Honestly, That's probably fine. for the best I'll, that you have I'll, some control. <laughs> over that. <laughs> yeah, just to just to keep things orderly here. Um, with that in mind, maybe we start talking uh, with the Timbers here uh, and then sort of what's gone on with them over the last few weeks. Obviously, their season opener is next weekend um, at home against Colorado. So that's that's going to be a big moment. Phil Neville's coaching debut for the, the Timbers and, and a semi new look roster, but really more more tweaking having gone on than a full facelift um you know they, they're in preseason right now obviously down in coachella um they uh they tied their first matchup with nycfc and then lost uh their second matchup down there um and so that that's been you know unremarkable i mean the results don't matter and stuff like that especially given how much substitution goes on but um you know, plenty to talk about on the Timbers front from the new kits, the Nature Unites ones to uh, to Marvin Loria, obviously having knee surgery and going to be out for a few months, adding to maybe some some depth challenges for the Timbers at the winger spot. Um, Santiago Moreno and Juan Mosquera signing extensions. Uh, Moreno through 2026 and Mosquera through 2027. Um there is apparently a DP striker signing that is close, according to reporting from our YouTube pal, Tom Bogert. Um, but right now, there's no name even really being floated. So, you know, there, there has been talk, uh, some of it maybe inflated in, at times, some of it just talk in general about the idea of them signing one or two big players uh prior to this season and it's coming up close to the to the deadline of of it being before the season here right and you know whoever they sign dp striker or otherwise uh not going to obviously be in town and ready to roll for next week <laughs> that's just an unrealistic expectation so it'll be someone that gets into the fold maybe a couple games into the season at best, at best. but we don't have a name to speculate about right now uh and so with all that in mind um you know where is your head at where are the vibes at ahead of this season opener for the timbers you know i think they're 
better uh, than than they were last year. That's not the highest bar in the world, but I think they're better uh, than they were last year. Uh, I I think the the signings of Miller and Cripo were both very good. I think the Miller trade was a was a good trade, uh, and the Cripo signing, frankly, was a coup. Uh, I mean, that wasn't a signing that I expected the Timbers to be able to make. And so those are certainly helpful. And the defense was a problem, right? And those those should should be quite helpful. You know, they have, for the first time in a while, I think some pretty good depth at center back now where they've, they, they've got, you know, certainly since they've kept Dario Zuperich, which is a little bit of a surprise from where things started at the beginning of the offseason. Uh, you know, they've got Zuperich, they've got McGraw, they've got Miller, uh, they've got Miguel Araujo, who I, you know, I mean, remains a little bit of a wild card. It seems like he's kind of in that fourth spot right now, which is a disappointment, I think, given what the they had hoped from him, at least coming in, that he would be a starting level contributor. He hasn't sort of worked his way into that spot yet, but he may yet. So, you know, I, I think that is that is better uh, than than it was last year. And, and and frankly, between that and the goalkeeping improvements, I think overall it's a better roster even in this moment than it was last year. But I wouldn't say they're significantly better, right? Uh, I mean, I, th- I think you look at that uh, attack in general and you hope for maybe a little bit of internal improvement. But otherwise, it's virtually unchanged from from last year in an attack that, that I think was pretty inconsistent. Uh, it it had some good stretches, but it also had some pretty bleak stretches. And in particular, I worry, and I think this worry might even survive the signing of a DP number nine, that the one of the big problems in the attack last year was that they had a tendency in the final third to be both very narrow and very static. And that's because the, the the attack is loaded with players who want to play within the width of the penalty area uh, and who also would prefer to have the ball at their feet rather than be the one doing moving off the ball. And I think that issue remains, maybe is even a little bit worse now than it was then, right? I mean, Santiago Moreno, Eric Williams, and Evander, these are all guys who want to operate with the ball at their feet. And... As of this moment, I mean, it looks like that, that that's sort of the creative engine uh, of the attack, uh, along with Felipe Mora. I think Anthony it might help that, uh, and I think that that's part of the hope, but that's probably an unreasonable hope to put on still a relatively young player. Uh, but I, I think that's the, the best hope that they have in the attack. Yeah, I think he's probably he's probably the most suited to to sort of solve or help solve those problems. He's not going to solve them by himself. Yeah. But um but he's the most suited I think to play in in the wide positions and yeah, I mean Moreno has even floated in, you know, in the media about the desire to to play in more of an attacking midfield role as more of a number 10 type of of person. You know, and even when he's playing them. out on the so, wing, his like he he likes to start wide sort of in in the middle third uh to take that up as a starting position because it's a really good spot for him to be able to pick up the ball and then do what he wants to do, which is drive toward goal. Um but he starts wide and plays in Right. That that is his normal, most natural pattern of play. He's not somebody who in the final third is going to be to use an Englishism, uh, get get the ch- some chalk on the boots 
Um, he's not going to be that kind of guy. And they've got Juan Mascara on that side who provided, who certainly provides some of that. But frankly, even in the final third, he actually <laughs> tends to like want to come inside as well. Uh, and had some success doing that in, in 2023. And frankly, I mean, you know, we, clearly his presence by itself wasn't enough to solve this problem because he was there, right? And he sort of opened the season strong and faded as the season went along to the point where his spot wasn't even super secure by by the end of the year. Where he was at least periodically through the summer uh, being omitted in favor of Eric Miller uh, at right back. And so... I think all of, you know, so I, I, I still worry about that, frankly, in the attack. And I'm not sure, I'm not super confident that a DP number nine, even a good one, would solve that problem. Uh, and the reason it's a problem is even if you have good players, if if your personnel just wants to attack sort of within the, the width of the penalty area, then you're going to have to find some way to create space. Because if you're narrow like that, you're just not hard to defend with four or five guys. Can that come from from a situation that I've I've seen others float online? Alex Barnes, our, our good pal over at Stumptown Footy, um, and you talked a little bit about this, I believe, on Twitter. The idea of of having um, you know three in the back with with McGraw Miller, that's Kamal Miller, um, and and Zuperich, and then sort of going with Mosquera and question mark as the as the wing backs because Claudio Brown I mean, was injured. Yeah, for question mark is, a is while. the first question mark. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that that's the thing, like you can play that way. You can try to make it work that way. And I think that a guy like Mosquera is probably more suited to a wing back type of position than he is just a, a straight up, you know, outside back. Um, his, his defending, I think, gives a little more way to his his offensive and attacking ability. But um, but the question is, like, who's going to be that person? It's probably not going to be somebody like Eric Miller, right? That's not sort of his his type of forte. Maybe as a preferred setup. Absolutely not. Sure. Yeah. No. And, you know, obviously their preference would be Bravo in that situation. But again, it's going to be a few months. It's going to be a few months and you're going to have to start the season out with somebody sort of, you know, sliding into that role. Yeah. it's a it's a big question mark, and and there have been rumors floated about um, different players at that position that they have um, potentially expressed interest in. We haven't seen anything super concrete in the way of reporting from people like Tom Bogert and others, but um, but yeah, that that's other than how the the DP number nine is going to fit into everything. Whether you know he plays alongside Felipe Mora um, up top, or if there's you know, uh, an opportunity for more to come off of the bench, which I don't know, you know, given his form, particularly toward the end of last season, I don't know if that's the best move for them to relegate one of their more talented attacking players to, to the bench in that situation. But there's going to be the adjustment period for whoever this guy is that they bring in. If it's a, a major signing, if it's like, <laughs> I mean, I, there, there isn't even a name I could think of, but I mean, they've you know, been, they've been a hinting story. at a major signing, right? There, there's no ambiguity to Phil Neville's top, top DP. That is the expectation. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not a top, top DP, people are going to have rightful cause to... To question yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and Yeah, exactly. And, and Phil said that there's a major commitment in terms of money from ownership from Merritt Paulson on this, um, you know, 
we'll see how that plays out. If it's a, if it's a bigger money signing than Evander, which is what it seems like it's tracking towards given the position, given the talk and the hype. Um, yeah, that's, that's a BFD and that's going to change things for sure. But it doesn't shore up. I think what is the most glaring issue, which is how you sort of fill in for Bravo and then have depth behind both Bravo and Mosquera that you feel really comfortable with so that you're not, you know, having a, a red light flashing in one area of the field that could cause everything to sort of like collapse around it. If, if you're in a situation in a game where, you know, it could break open. Yeah, it, it, there's there's so many different factors at play with this roster that um, that are going to be tested in these first few weeks in, in these first few games. But um, that's the major one that I think people are going to have their eye on and how Phil Neville tactically tries to cover for that um, is going to be interesting to watch, I think, as now, well. When it comes to the to questions about sort of, a, a you know, using a three back as a primary system, I, first of all, I, I think it's well worth exploring. So, you know, I, I, I don't mean to, to totally rain on the parade at all. I think it's it's well worth exploring, especially in this, this period in which they don't have Claudio Bravo. Um, I think it's a good idea. Uh, to 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 play with it clearly neville has been uh in they have played at some they have not they've also played in the four some uh we we know that i mean we've only sort of had actual eyes on on one game but we we've seen the lineups from the others and we can sort of infer the general setup so they've played in both uh i i i mean i with respect to the three i think you know there are obvious questions about what they do at left wing back right now uh, that you noted the other question that that just is always in my head frankly when we're talking about uh, any sort of a three setup is where does Santiago Moreno play and I don't think there's a super clear answer to that because I think I think if you move him to the spot that makes the most sense in that as, as sort of like the most advanced central midfielder which frankly isn't a role we've seen him in a ton. We've seen it. We saw a little bit of it last year and it was like, okay to good. Not amazing. Um, but you know, if you move him there, then where are you moving a vendor? Are you moving him back? And then do you have enough defense? If it's Chara, Evander and Moreno, I think you don't, I think you're going to get overrun. Uh, do you move him up? as as uh, sort of the uh, second forward alongside the number nine well he really didn't do well in that role last year he was a guy who did much better when he had more freedom to play deeper um he's not a second forward <laughs> like he's just not uh and so i mean maybe he could grow into that role but uh, you know i think one of the just like rules of soccer coaching is put your best players in their best positions, in their natural positions. Like, don't move a Vander into a position where you think he can work, maybe. You put a Vander where a Vander fits, and a Vander fits as your most advanced central midfielder, not as a second forward. Yeah, you change things around him, not the That's other exactly way around. Right. Because you want him to be able to thrive so that he can be that type of engine that he's. I think he's capable of being and that he showed major flashes of uh, during stretches yeah. of last season. Like you, want, you want him to thrive 
you want the obviously the DP number nine to thrive. We'll see if if that number nine too is somebody that is versatile and can maybe play as as a winger. Um, but again, you know, I mean, it's kind of the similar yeah. thing. If you're going to pay ten million bucks for a guy, play him in his position. Like like put him in his position. Oh, <laughs> uh, don't 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 be like, hey, this guy's played some on the wing, so maybe we can make that work. No, that no, you're paying ten million dollars for a guy. Put him in his position. <laughs> this isn't hard. This is like the basic stuff. Um, and so, you know, I, I think whenever you think about this roster and you think about how they're going to work in a three back, it starts to get to borrow from old, old, old friend John Spencer, a little square peggy and round holy, right? Um, the other thing that I think has been interesting and that has been on my mind and that has been actually kind of interesting in these lineups because of the, the choice that Neville is making is a little bit counterintuitive to me is the positional battle between Eric Williamson and Christian Paredes. Oh, obviously Williamson got hurt <laughs> last year, so he was out for an extended period of time. Paredes was one of the few guys on the roster who had an unambiguously good season uh, in 2023. I think supporters player of the year, if I'm remembering, yes. right? You remember these things a lot better because you like deal with actual facts. I just like... As sure. a journalist, like you're, you're, you're just vibing, just vibing yeah. over here, just vibing. <laughs> uh, I believe my caption on uh, on YouTube is "soccer enthusiast," um, and I just want to say for for the powers that be who make such decisions, I wholeheartedly endorse that. Um, but yeah, I'm just vibing over here, so I, I don't remember things like facts. Um, sure, but uh, but you know, I mean, unambiguously, one of the Timbers' best players last year and yeah. it looks like neville is preferring williamson over paredes now the reason why i think paredes fits and just fits <laughs> within this whole setup as sort of the true eight in whatever midfield they put together in whatever central midfield uh unit they have together i think paredes fits as the true eight is because he is by far the more two-way player as between them and frankly, with Diego Char getting on an edge, uh, I just don't think there's enough defense in front of him if Eric Williamson is sort of the second player, uh, the true eight uh, in, in, in that central midfield setup. Now, I think a lot of Eric Williamson is a player. Frankly, I mean, if the roster was built such that Williamson was, was the more advanced eight or ten uh, in in their central midfield setup, I would be pretty happy, but that obviously creates problems with Evander. Uh, this just gets back to my like you know now year long sort of like head scratch of like are Williamson and Evander redundant, <laughs> and I and and I worry that the answer. I mean, here I am a year later, and I I'm not convinced that the answer to that is no. Uh, but but in any event, it looks at least so far, like Neville is is going with Williamson over Paredes in that eight role, um, which I think is interesting. I, I mean, you know, either either he's going to find a way to make that work uh, and that's going to be pretty smart uh, or <laughs> this is a very, really reductive statement, but or he's not going to find a way to make it work. And we're going to be sitting here in a few weeks being like, wow, doofus coach didn't watch the past, did he? <laughs> and tried something that has already been tried and has already failed. And here it's we go again. It's the it, it, it's the it's the only two options, right? It's it's either not going to work. It, or it, it's either it'll not going to work or it's going to work. Um, and if it works, he's going to look <laughs> so, smart. If it doesn't, he's going to look dumb. Uh, but I mean, you know, the, yeah. the point is that has been tried in the past, and and like there's a, there's in addition to Williamson's injuries, like there's kind of a reason why 
it never really hit with Williamson and Evander on this on the field at the same time last year. And I mean, I I and why there were there were problems. And and, and so, you know, going back to that is an interesting choice. Neville thinks he can do better yeah, than think- Geo did with it. Cool. Let's let's see if he can. But if he doesn't, there are gonna be questions. Yeah, I think there are ways to to potentially make it work if things fall your way right if if moreno becomes more comfortable in a, in a wide position and and um and can just be an out and out winger for them that sometimes drifts in if need be um just if just to make himself more comfortable or set other people up i mean it's it's you know there are complicated things that are over my head that somebody like phil neville or you know in the past Severese and and coaches with decades of experience in this sport know maybe the little tweaks that maybe we you and i aren't necessarily discussing or are familiar with but by that same token like it, it it's a two-pronged thing it, it also has to be evander that you know in that situation feels more comfortable being an out and out number 10 and i i just as as you pointed out i don't know if that's the best usage of of his ability because there were times I think last year where he left some to be desired on the defensive end. Um, and, I, mean, I and don't he think you want Evander... injuries and stuff, but, but I, I do think that when he drops a little deeper, he's more successful is, is more, more yeah, I think that's right. But I don't think you want to put much in terms of defensive responsibilities on Evander because you want him to have the freedom. I mean, one of the things about defensive responsibilities, especially in a central midfielder is essentially what you're telling them is, Yes, do stuff in the attack, but also you need to be mindful of where you go so that you're in a position to repress if we win, if and when we lose the ball, right? And 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 so that's like kind of the the thing. If you're giving somebody in central midfield defensive responsibilities, you're like, yeah, you know, I mean, go find the game, but like don't stray too far. You want Evander to be free. You want Evander to not be worrying about whether he's in a position to counterpress or anything like that when he's going to find the pockets of space that are going to be available because they're always going to be different, right? Those pockets of space are going to be different depending every week, depending on which opponent you're facing, which personnel they're rolling out, what their tactical, uh, what their tactical approach to the game is. And you want Evander to have just total Liberty to hunt those spaces, to find them. Diego Valeri would just do this like genius level, uh, when he was, uh, when, when, when he was sort of in his prime, where he would just hunt whatever the spaces were, and sometimes it'd be out wide, right? Think about some of the like amazing uh, moments that we've had, we've seen from Diego Valeri in his day, where he started way out wide, or where he would be picking up the ball way out wide. It's like he's the number ten, or even the, the second forward, uh, if we fast forward to 2017, and yet here he is picking up the ball, you know, 40 yards, 50 yards deep and way out on the left wing or the right wing. It's because he was hunting that space. And because he didn't have much in terms of defensive responsibilities, he could have just total liberty to go find it. That's where you want Evander. That's what you want him to be able to do. And a lot of times that space is going to be deeper. Frankly, teams are just setting up in ways where that's just the case now, right? I mean, ever since the advent of the the, the advent, the, 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 the popularity of the double pivot in you know the, the 2000s, that has and and sort of the modifications and the growth of that that we've seen over the course of the last you know 15 years or so like teams are good at shutting down spaces teams are good at shutting down zone 14 
And so that's why you just needed to have these primary playmakers who are able to be more creative in terms of where they're picking up the ball because they can't rely on getting the ball 25 yards out from goal in the middle of the field anymore. And, right. And, and, and you know, we're, we're, no, we're talking about playmakers and it just makes me think of how important, and, and you mentioned Christian Paredes last year and how, how good he was, how important he often was in sort of playmaking situations, he's right? Doing it like he may not have feet. gotten the, the assists. Yeah, exactly. He, he's, he fills those spaces. Yes. He attacks those spaces in, in a really, you know, impressive way. And, so, so that's a big question, right? Williamson is obviously somebody that that I think needs to to see the field with regularity because he's he's one of the more talented players on the roster. Um, he is. The question I, I, I'm is, a big it, Eric it, Williamson it, fan. I none of this is a criticism uh, yeah. of Eric Williamson. And so the challenge then is like, are you splitting starts with Williamson and Paredes to make sure Paredes is is on the field more, or and this is a major question to ask. Are you thinking about, you know, scaling it back with Chara at all? Because we uh, last year there was very little evidence to suggest that that Diego had taken much, if any, steps back uh, for in terms of you know his contribution, his his fitness, his ability to do what he does and just be a disruptor and and be the legendary player that in MLS that he's been. But eventually. If if it is beneficial to the team, you might have to kill a sacred cow, right? You might have to say, look, we're we're scaling it back with Chara and giving Paredes, who's younger and and does some of the same things, but is more of an attacking presence and is more versatile. Give give him more of that sort of opportunity. I don't think that's going to happen necessarily right off the bat. It would, I think, depend on the form you're seeing out of a Diego Chara, but it is a complication nonetheless. And and it's the layers of complication that exist because Evander is up top, which means Santi's not up top. And because Evander's up top, that means he's not deeper, which means Williamson is a little deeper, which means Paredes doesn't really fit into the 11 in most formations. Well, Williamson doesn't so, if you're going to put... Paredes in, yeah. in, in instead of Eric. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, so the, the, that's if, just the, the, a complication that's extremely the normal is, for a, a soccer is, team. Does yeah. Diego, is, is there a possibility that sort of Diego Chara takes a step back? I think if you, if the Timbers are playing in a four, the answer is no, because he really is the only true six, uh, other than perhaps David Ajala, who, had like 15 minutes of really good play in 2023 before like the most tragic injury of the season. Yeah. And where does he well, fit? And, and, That's and another he, player. He, yeah. he fits in as, as the back of number six and uh, you know, and I, whether he is going to be in a place where he's going to be pushing for minutes, I think just remains to be seen. We will see. Um, I, I, I think we were in the process of see, of seeing whether that was going to be the case last year. Uh, and sadly, he just got hurt, and so we we were deprived of that opportunity. But whether I mean the question being whether they can sort of move Paredes, who I do not regard as a six, who I regard as as a true out and out eight, into sort of the deepest role in their central midfield, I think boils down to whether they're playing in a four or a three. Uh, if you're playing in a four back. This is a little bit counterintuitive just with the numbers, but it's because of how the fullbacks work. Um, I think the answer is no. 
you need a you need a real six if you're playing in a four. We've seen it over and over and over again. You need a real six uh, if you're playing in a four because if you, if you don't have a real six and you're playing in a four, then those number tens are often just going to be able to pick up the ball in the middle of the field, thirty yards from goal, and I, I mean that the result is pain. Uh, it's it's bad. Uh, so I think if you're playing in a four, the answer is no. If you're playing in a three there might be a little bit of a different calculus because oftentimes if you're playing in a three, what you'll do in your sort of, in your, in your sort of non deep defense, a lot of times one of your center backs is going to step out a little bit. And in extreme cases, they can even almost take up the position of a six uh, in possession and also in, in transition moments Um, because you have those two center backs sitting behind them to provide that cover. And so you can have a little bit of verticality in the positioning of your center backs if you're playing in a three. In that instance, teams can get away in their central midfield without having like anybody who's a, a true real six because you can essentially, essentially fill that role in moments that you need to with a center back. It's tactically pretty nuanced to get it done. It takes the right folks. But frankly, I think the Timbers have three center backs, all of whom have pretty good heads on their shoulders. And so could they figure that out? Yeah, I, I do think so. I'm not sure. I mean, you generally want that to be your your central center back. Uh, and you usually also want that person to be somebody who's pretty good in possession. Kamal Miller is the best by far of those three with the ball at their feet because you're going to want to play through that guy with some regularity in possession, right? As you do your six. Um, I think... Miller is the best with the ball at his feet, but he also is the most natural fit as the left center back. Uh, so, I mean, that would be something to work out. But if they're playing in a three, then I think that becomes a more of a conversation. If they're playing in a four, I think it would just take a a to this point unforeseen or, or unseen uh, evolution from somebody like Christian Paredes to be truly a six, um, which I just don't think he is. But I think he's a really good eight. Uh, and I think he's a really good eight who should be part of the starting lineup shots fired the nature (laughs) (laughs) the nature unites jerseys nature united nature Nature unites (laughs) Uh, that's that's what the timbers can call themselves i mean like the squirrels and the bears and all that didn't get together and put together a soccer team that is nature united um it is nature unites um yes so what what are your what what's the what's the what's the time i'm waiting to see them live in in living color uh and i say in living color somewhat intentionally because like the color on some of the photos is weird they almost look teal or bluish um and that's weird uh given (laughs) given that like it's supposed to be like tree branches i've heard that live they look greener than they do in the photos that yeah that's the only like like big note that i i have uh i think it's kind of a cool concept it's it's certainly preferable to just the like hey we have a white shirt as our secondary uh kind of deal that that so many mls teams have done over the years uh and so i'm glad that they got a little bit creative i i i like the hat tip at least to the nature conservancy um i think that's a cool deal um so yeah i mean overall positive and if they're not blue even better yeah and i don't think that they are um we didn't we didn't get them shipped to us other people did that's That's, okay you know i uh, (laughs) I, in in all my years i have yet to like get the the free uh, like jersey box thing it's all right 
and and I can't accept that stuff. That's right. So you you have um, ethics. I'm just not that. I'm just not cool enough. Alex though is. Yeah. <laughs> Alex is cool enough. Fook's cool enough. Fook win. Shout out to Fook. Um, they they both got some some nice jerseys. I, I liked how they packaged them too. There's like wood shavings in the box too. I, I think that's that the vibe was very cool. Um, and so I, I like the, the jersey. I, I think that it's a it's a solid look. Um, cent, central crests. I'm not yeah, like I mean, a the, huge the, the stacked logo business. Uh, you know, it's clearly an Adidas thing. We see it on Miami's. My guess is we'll see it on one or two others at least. Oh yeah, not a great. I mean, obviously Nike sort of started us down this path uh, with the U.S. Men's National Team jersey and a few others at the last World Cup. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, when the various manufacturers depart this path because I don't think it's a good one. Yeah, I the the shorts are are plain sort of cream colored too, and and that's an interesting piece for me. I think it kind of would have been cool if the if the tree thing like went down all the way like on the side of the shorts too. Um, I don't think they can do that though. I think that the shorts have to be a solid color as as part of the deal. But at any rate, I I think the design is is pretty cool, and um, I like the photo shoot that Craig Mitchell Dyer and company did yeah. uh, with with Char and Williamson. I Did think that, that like it was a park. cool little like. I mean, it's hard to say, but, it might but that would been. be the most natural yeah. thing for them to do, right? I mean, it's kind of out the back door. Um, go find a yeah. good spot in Forest Park. But yeah, it, it, it's cool. Uh, I, I generally positive weird filters slash way the color shows up in some of the photography um, that makes it look yeah. very blue, which sure. is neither the color and, of trees nor the timbers. Right. Um, so, so moving on maybe from, from the timbers, from jerseys to, uh, to the Portland thorns here. Um, a little more activity in in the recent weeks uh, than we had seen. Obviously, last podcast we talked about the rumored signing of Jesse Fleming uh, to, for a record fee. Um, that record has now been eclipsed, yeah, as we short no- noted. <laughs> yeah, Bay FC uh, eclipsed that record significantly with their signing. Um, so, but but either way big money most money ever spent on a thorns signing uh for jesse fleming that was made official uh in the time since our last podcast uh the canadian thorns takeover continues she's somebody that i think slots in well alongside sam coffee in the midfield um obviously rocky rodriguez as we noted last podcast headed down to angel city so that's sort of the swap they do there and i think fleming is is somebody that could be one of their best players next season um other than that, Marie Muller was signed a defender, a German defender uh, from Freiburg in, in the Frauen Bundesliga. She came to the Thorns uh, in sort of an interesting like framing of a signing, right? Because she's somebody that played primarily outside back. But based on what I think Mike Norris's quotes, quote, hinted at, um, they, they see her as somebody that has the same type of versatility um, as as maybe a Rana Reyes, right? That can can get up and, and be a, a winger or a wing back type of, of player with that type of wide ability. Um, so I, she could factor in either into the starting lineup uh, in, in the case of maybe Klingenberg moving to the bench or as, as somebody that splits time relatively evenly with somebody like Klingenberg um, throughout the season. I, I'm interested to see how they utilize her. I think that that was a, a strong signing for, for the Thorns and Karina LeBlanc. But um, other than that, I, there are 
certainly questions i think about the the depth that this thorns team has uh behind it's it's obviously extremely talented starting yeah. 11 then then compared with the rest of nwsl right because you know there are teams like gotham um who have have stacked themselves up with with talent and veteran experience in ways that maybe if you compare the thorns to them is is not necessarily the case i do think that this Thorns team as constructed is is a championship contender. The question is when it comes down to to postseason time, all the chips falling as as they could for the Thorns if they stay healthy uh, and aren't having to test that depth as much as they they probably will have to. Um, what what happens in those games against a Gotham against San Diego um, that that. I mean, can they can they make it farther than they did last year with a team that I think was was more well-rounded overall? Yeah, this Thorns team is a team that looks really good on a preseason projected 11 sheet. It's not hard to come up with a good-looking starting 11 for the Thorns. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's just not hard. Uh, you know, you, you I think some... Fair question still to ask about whether the 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 back line altogether is, you know, sort of an elite unit, but it certainly is at least workable. And then everything in front of it is far better than workable. Oh, the question 100% is depth. I mean, 100% is just depth. And it's basically at every position. Uh, there There is not sort of like we are sorted too deep at any position on the field. And that's the concern. Uh, it's the it's a especially a concern in an Olympic year when you're gonna have a good number of players headed off to the Olympics and who, who are not gonna miss a ton of games because the league has gotten smarter uh, about that as as they've gone. But we'll miss certainly miss some. And then the question is, what kind of form and health will they be in uh, when they get back from the Olympics? Which, as we found out last year and in years past, is definitely a question. Yeah, it's a challenge. It's 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 the double edged sword of having these like incredible like national team level players on your team that are also going to disappear. And, and, you know, what do you have behind them that can keep the form rolling during that time period? And last last season, it was yeah. hard. I mean, there there was definitely I mean, Crystal Dunn was a different you know, player before and after the World Cup last year. I mean, yeah, I mean she was and, enormously so. Yeah. And there's there's questions about health already for the thorns this season too with gabby provenzano tore her achilles obviously wishing her a, a you know prosperous and speedy recovery achilles recoveries are never really speedy rough. but it's you know yeah it's, that's a rough one and and that already is somebody that you were hoping maybe stepped into a greater role than she had last year and now she's not there um there's still obviously time until the season starts for them to to maybe bring in another player or two that can can alleviate some of those challenges but otherwise yeah depth is is a genuine yeah i mean the but on that is i mean the the damage in many respects has been done right because in terms of there 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 were some players in the free agency class this year who would have helped fill out an 11 there were a ton of players in an in the in nwsl free agency this year who can fill out your 18 right and that is where I think the Thorns really missed the boat in 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 the early parts of the offseason. And we've talked about, you know, some of the, the the various factors that we can speculate about why, et cetera, yada, yada, yada for, you know, we've talked about that all offseason. But I mean, that's that's I think where where 
the damage to the roster build is done. And I don't see a ton of opportunities to bring in the numbers that they need to, to be able to do that. Yes, they have some players uh, still remaining on the roster who can be uh, helpful in terms of depth. Um, certainly, I think they hope Izzy Tequila is ready to sort of step into a little bit bigger role this year. Uh, Taylor Porter remains somebody who can who can provide depth in in central midfield. I mean, obviously, Christine Sinclair is going to be in the 18. Uh, and, you know, they they have between Mueller and Klingenberg, I think one, uh, you know, mm-hmm. one pretty figures to be, you know, decent fullback in, in depth. But it's just really thin. I mean, they need three or four additional players to be able to step in and fill out those 18s and frankly, fill out 11s when you have the inevitable. I mean, because everybody always has them injuries and, you know, I mean, it, it, it's just the kind of roster that you can see uh, if they have a little bit of a rash of injuries uh, them, you know, sort of ruining the fact midseason about how, how bad of luck that they've had with injuries, but really it's not about luck. It's about the the roster not being constructed to handle those things that just come along. It's sports, right? It's athletics. People get hurt. People get injured. That's that's the the fact of life. Oh, and uh, and they're very very exposed to being hurt very badly by those things right now. And so that's what concerns me. The eleven, the very few notes. Uh, I think it looks really dang good, and I think your description of it as as championship caliber is is spot on. If by some you know some grace of God they're able uh, to to be consistently healthy and consistently inform and have everybody uh, available, yeah, I think this is the team that can win uh, win win a title. Um, but that's a pretty unreasonable expectation to have uh, here, even in the middle of February. Yeah, and I'm interested too to see how, if at all, that is alleviated in in the coming weeks and months. Because it obviously all doesn't have to happen right now necessarily. It would be made easier if it happened right now. But you know, there are windows throughout the season during which you can can bolster your depth uh, and and bring players in. It happens in every league. It's just part of the deal. Um, soccer is not the soccer is not bring everybody together before the season. And this is who you're rolling with the whole way. Um, it's true. Yeah. It, if, if you're doing that, maybe you're not having as successful of a season. It's true, but the, the <laughs> but, counterpoint is there's, there's danger in trying to build the plane too much mid flight as we've seen from the yeah. timbers the last few yeah, years. The, yeah. The timbers had that and problem last year. Kind of <laughs> problem again this year, but, uh, you, you know, I mean, they, there, there's danger in that as well. Uh, I think if you're, if, if what you're trying to do during the season is make, you know, one edition here or one edition there uh, to to bring a particular attribute to the team or to, or to provide a spot of, uh, of cover, I think that's one thing. If you sort of have an across the board depth issue heading into the season, I, I think that's far more concerning from a roster construction perspective. For sure. Um, somebody that that is really important to what they're going to do in that starting lineup that's going to step into that bigger role this year obviously is Olivia Moultrie now um an ML or an NWSL veteran at, the age uh, of 18. at 18 yeah. years old yeah uh she just re-signed with the Thorns for three more years uh obviously that's a big one to to check off the list because she's somebody that I'm sure had she become uh, a free agent or had the ability to to go wherever she wants she'd have attention from around NWSL and and beyond it um so that's that's a big one for for Karina LeBlanc to lock down there um and somebody who this season 
can step in as like an out and out number 10 and be a phenomenal playmaker right behind the likes of, of Sophia Smith and Morgan Weaver and Hina Sugita. I mean, that that quartet right there with Moultrie starting to come into her own and enter the early, perhaps the early stages of her prime as a player, uh, given the amount of years she's put in as a pro already. Um, that's scary. And it's always going to be scary, right? Soph's up top, man. It's, I mean, the, yeah, it's the, like, the, that's, that's the question. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's going to, but the, the rest of it and the depth obviously is, is, the, is the additional question because yes, yeah, like Sauerbrunn is coming back. That's, that's awesome. Klingenberg is coming back. That's awesome. Those are two people that beyond their contribution on the field are veteran leaders that, you know, their presence is invaluable. We've talked about that at length. Um, Hubley at center back. You know, she wasn't really rated as much by Mike Norris last year, as I think you pointed out on the last podcast. Um, so that th- those two paired up, Sauerbrunn and Hubley, um, are going to be relied upon pretty, pretty heavily. Um, but but they've added depth in, in the defender position so that that's maybe going to help. We'll see how those those players come on. Obviously, both of them are young uh, that they're bringing in, but. Um, Reina Reyes, I think is somebody to be excited about as well. Um, probably slotted in as, as more of a left back, left wing back, um, this year, but I think she's an out and out starter and somebody that, that showed flashes of serious quality last season. Yep. And that's big. And so her getting, continuing to get that experience and then getting more regular run with the, with the starting lineup this year is, is going to be exciting too. But yeah. I mean, beyond that, it's 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 going to be interesting how that depth is is rounded out. Um, uh, the goalkeeper position is interesting yeah. too because obviously Bella Bixby won't be there this year. Um, and again, congrats to to her. I mean, that's that's going to be awesome to to become a mom. And um, you know, she's got so many people on that team in the way that Crystal Dunn did support, supporting her and and just sort of being like the the aunties for the baby. Uh, I mean, that's that's going to be that's going to be so cool. Uh, but, but yeah, that's a, you know, Shelby Hogan's going to start there. And um, I think she was strong in the time that she played during last but it's season. A, it's a position but, of question. And it's also a position of question because the, the through line that we've had in Thorns goalkeepers over the course of the last few years has always been Nadine Unger. Oh, and the outstanding coaching that they've had from Unger. Nadine is gone. Uh, that could yeah. end up being a really big loss this year. Frankly, as I talk to folks who are more plugged into this than I am, that's the one that comes up more than any uh, in terms of losses from 2023 to 2024 that could affect the Thorn season. Uh, Nadine Auger is a really good goalkeeping coach. There's a reason that every single goalkeeper that she coached got better from Michelle Betos to A.D. French to uh, Bella Bixby. I mean, there's a reason that this has been a goalkeeping factory for the last several years. And I, it, it doesn't take a genius to infer that that reason was Nadine Unger. Uh, and so I, I think that's a, a big uh, position of, frankly, just question coming into the year that, you know, I mean, if, if, if things go south, that could be one of the reasons why. Uh, I also think it's worth pausing, though, to, to come back to, to Liv Moultrie. Uh, you know, earning her sort of second true out and out pro NWSL contract. Um, there was a lot of, there's been whispers discussion about Liv because she was signed so early in 
in her life. <laughs> I was about to say career, but like life. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, about whether, you know, she was sort of worth the hype. Answer. Yes. <laughs> really good player, it turns out. Um, and uh, I, it is it is not a small thing to sort of earn that second big contract to get to this point. Um, and I think at this point, and, I mean, and she's not being signed because of any hype. She's not being signed because of anything like that. She's being signed to this extension. And one can infer getting a nice pay raise because she's proven it. She's shown it. Um, and I think that answers an, an awful lot of questions. And so uh, she's not only yeah. a pioneer uh, in, in women's soccer, but she's also a person who's just frankly earned it on her own merits as a player, period. Uh, and so yeah. congratulations to her. Well earned. Um, the opportunity that she has this year uh, that you talked about is also well earned. She's getting that opportunity because she deserves it. Um, and now it, it's it's sort of her her opportunity to, to, to really take it, take it by the, the by the horns and, and, and become sort of a full national team player. But boy, if you're talking about at the age of 18, working your way into that kind of position. Full credit. And, you know, she's exceptionally, unbelievably mature. That's the reason why everybody yeah. always forgets she's 18 years old. Because when you hear her speak, she doesn't come off that way, even in the slightest. Um, and she plays in really, really mature. She doesn't play like an 18-year-old. Um, so well-earned uh, for her. Uh, I very, very much look forward to seeing how... She, Sam Coffey, and Jesse Fleming work out the balance in that central midfield. Uh, I think if they can work it out with Mike Norris uh, and under his guidance, uh, that that really has a lot of potential to be a very, very exciting unit. And when you look at the ages around that unit, could be a very exciting unit for a long time for the Portland Thorns and frankly can be the backbone of a, of a really good team. That's I mean, if yeah. you can lock down those kinds of players and and those kinds of relationships in a positional unit like that, that's the kind of stuff that makes for lasting success. And, and so that's that's the opportunity that they have this year to go start laying that foundation. Yeah, that foundation is huge. That, that being potentially the best midfield in NWSL, right, is, is and for years to come, because, you know, we've talked a lot about the importance of the SOF extension, and obviously that's going to continue it's, to be it's, a, it's a discussion point. It's the Otani free agency of the NWSL, right? I mean, that yes. is that, you know, the, the in ba to make a stupid baseball reference, but like the Shohei Otani free agency was like the biggest free agency in the MLB for like decades this past yeah, year. Yeah, but the coffee, the coffee one is, is close to as important, right? Because you're talking about locking up that midfield for the long term, uh, Fleming and, and Mulcher taken care yeah. of. The, the transfer keeps Fleming here believe, through, I believe, 2027 yeah. or so in that range. And coffee's, um, coffee's and, 2025, and co right? Uh, if I'm remembering yeah. right, I think there's an option for yeah. next year. But, it, I mean, nonetheless, I mean, this is when those conversations should be starting about extending that relationship. Yeah, and so those those players can be foundational. And um, they're bringing in young players at other positions that can sort of ease into the spots of, of veterans as, as they go out. Obviously, Moultrie slots into where, uh, you know, Christine Sinclair had been, and that's that's the easy transition there. Um, Obaze obviously is seems like the heir to to Sauerbrunn. We'll see. Could be not in the, in the. And not in the way that, you know, like she's expected to be Becky Sauerbrunn, but I mean, in, in terms the of like, construction, that's, you know, 
the roster construction and, and the planning out for potentially this being Becky's last year. We, we don't know yet if that's the case, but it could be. And then Klingenberg, obviously, on the outside with with Mueller uh, and then Reyes on the other side, just sort of being those two type of players to fit in there. Um, they have those contingency plans, but the question is immediate depth and contribution, as, as we talked about. And so, um, yeah, I, I building out a, a team for the future that can continue to contend regardless of if maybe they they lose a player to another team that gets a big contract or a big transfer fee. Um, you think about all the moving parts with the thorns, right? Like Sugita seems like somebody that they want to keep around for the long haul. Um, everybody in this town loves Morgan Weaver, but there are, I'm sure teams lining up asking Karina LeBlanc how much money it would take to, to I mean, make, to make Weaver their version of, Sophia Smith, like to, to make her their star player, right? Because alongside Smith, they're lethal, but there is potential for somebody like a Morgan Weaver to be a star player for another team. There is potential for maybe a, a Raina Reyes or a Sam Coffey down the line to, to become like a central figure for, for another team. So keeping, keeping those things intact, like you said, is just, it's huge. The, so we actually had a question uh, that I'm going to I'm going to pull up out of the question section, which is next into this section, because it's topical, uh, which is and I can't remember who asked this. You're the person who, like, you know, actually does, you know, this stuff. But somebody asked, what does a successful year look like for the Portland Thorns? <clears throat> and, and the the uh, the purpose of the question sort of being, you know, what's the on field expectation? They're going to win a championship, make the playoffs kind of stuff. Oh. Um, a successful year for the Portland Thorns looks like extending Sophia Smith or re-signing Sophia Smith. And I'll, I'll put it to you this way, Ryan, and you can answer And uh, in terms of this thought experiment. What would you rather have happen? What would be a better year for the Thorns? They go to and lose the NWSL championship game, but they do not re-sign Sophia Smith. Or they have injuries, absences, kind of a, a rough going year. They miss the playoffs, but they re-sign Sophia Smith. Which one would you choose? I don't even have to think about this. Oh no, so it's re-signing yeah, Sophia no because question. Well, no question. those two scenarios those two scenarios that you're talking about, like not neither of them include a championship, right? And maybe maybe in the in the one where they make it to Honestly, the championship they and lose her, the they also get a shield. Would you rather win NW, win the NWSL championship this year or re-sign Sophia Smith? I mean, it's it. The potential for more is obviously the thing that you want, but it's so hard to win a championship. To say, oh no, I'd rather have her than the championship. Is as if you're a fan, like that's an interesting bargain to make. This isn't a choice that is actually going to exist, <laughs> but it is an interesting hypothetical. Uh, obviously, yeah. it's so to to me because you you every year that you have her on your roster regardless of what's around Especially her. Especially if I mean, you've got that central midfield it, foundation behind her, you're yeah. a contender. Yeah, you are. And and it does matter what's around her. It's not like you just put her with a, a ragtag no. group and suddenly they're going to win the title. That's not how this sport works. But the team that they've been able to build and the foundation they've been able to build around her is strong enough that every year that you have her around, she's a championship winning player in, in one of the best in the world. So, yeah, 
Yes. So her. yeah, I mean, a, a successful year for the Thorns looks like resigning Sophia Smith for me. Uh, and yeah, and and we've harped on this, you know, at at length. But it's, it's the biggest important. story in NWSL this year. And you know, I I, I raised the point because look, I mean, the, the the Thorns do have Smith in a contract year this year. They have Sam Coffey and Morgan Weaver in a contract year next year. And to your point, I mean, look. There are a lot of NWSL teams right now that are looking at those three contracts and salivating. <laughs> I mean, it, it, if we get toward the end of the year and there's not a, a contract extension for Smith, it is going to be a major story about how teams are lining up to make their pitches to Soph. She can start negotiating with them in September, I think, after the roster freeze deadline. And that's going to be like... It's going to be hot and not yeah. in a comfortable LeBron, way and, LeBron and hot James, under the collar yeah. for the thorns because yeah. guess who's not feeling great about the Shohei Otani free agency right now? The angels. They're not feeling good about it at all. <laughs> and that's the seat that the thorns are going to be sitting in. Uh, and frankly, yeah. you know, that's the seat that the thorns are going to be sitting in with respect to Weaver and coffee too. If they're not able to sort of lock down that group. And so I mean, I, I think those are the bigger stories, frankly, and the more important benchmarks for a successful 2024 than the actual outcome of the year for the Thorns this year, because that's going to be what dictates what happens for this club for the next half decade. Yeah. And and that question was asked about both teams uh, uh, from from our listener, yeah. So what what does this what what does a successful season look like for the for the Timbers? I mean, are we talking about like a genuine major step forward? I, I think that's what it is. I think it's a genuine like major step forward. You're a top four team in the West. You make a solid playoff run. That to me seems like the type of step that they envisioned when they brought in Phil Neville that they wanted to take, but. I mean, that's everybody's yeah. desire, right? The question is how it plays Top out. Uh, in the conference, I think, is is the the reasonable benchmark of, of a successful year. And I think the regular season standings are more important than the playoffs uh, in, in that regard. Playoffs are obviously important. Uh, but, you know, top four is is yeah. the benchmark. You don't spend $10 million on Evander last year, $10 million on a to-be-determined uh, plus maybe uh, on a to-be-determined DP striker this year and then declare victory by getting seventh. <laughs> That's, if you get se- if you spend that kind of money and you get seventh, you failed. Uh, so top yeah. four. Definitely. And, and that's, you know, that's what they've talked about. Kamal Miller said that, you know, he, he believes that this team is capable of that. And I, I think that they are. The question is, you know, how it all fits together how healthy they stay um and and then obviously the questions of depth that they that they possess and of course well. i mean you know i mean um, whether neville can can coach them successfully i mean look yeah, I, that's like, a big the, part that's i don't i'm not meaning to be a jerk about this but like that's a reasonable question given neville's uh neville's resume he's not been in any place where he got some team to you know sort of massively overachieve Oh, I think he would probably point to that 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 year, that one year in which Miami finished sixth in the East. Again, that's not exactly the 
It's not like he won a championship. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think he does have a much better roster here than I think he ever did in I Miami, to be right ish. But I also think that Miami roster like had the third highest payroll in MLS. Like, I mean, they weren't the Colorado Rapids, yeah. right? <laughs> where where, the, where they're playing payroll, with the third though, of that, the deck. Like, yeah. it wasn't that good. Yes, there were absolutely roster limitations from the sanctions. I grant that entirely. Uh, it's not like the deck though was completely empty. And, and so, you know, I, I think it's a reasonable question as to whether he can get this team to overachieve more than he has or to, you know, be greater than the sum of its parts more than he has his prior teams. Um, and you know, I'm sure the, the Timbers will chafe at that point a little bit. Uh, but I mean, like just, it's just, it's just sort of a, a reasonable point based on the, based on the facts of the past, uh, and so it's sure. a, it's a reasonable question. I'm not saying he can't or won't, the, but it's a question. Another question that we got uh, was, "What Thorns player do we think will have a breakout year?" I think we we touched on this a little bit in the discussion about Moultrie. I think Moultrie is the one that's probably poised to have. Yeah, and Reina, uh, Moultrie and Reina. I think just given their their age and newfound roles uh, are the two people that are, are poised to, I think, have a really strong year. I think Reyna is going to have a, a handful of assists and maybe score a goal or two here and there. She's She had a couple of header goals, I think, last year um, and proved a, a force in that type of situation, which is is fun. Um, she's, she's capable of scoring goals, so that'll be cool. And then Moultrie, she's got, like, potential for, like, world-class you know ability i mean some of the some of the free kicks she took some of the the balls that she put in last year you you, they're the jaw droppers they're they're like whoa like she's 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 her you know so i i think those two are definitely the um the most likely um any spoilers on some guest appearances coming up uh we would have liked to have a guest on on the podcast this week I'll, i'll i'll be honest i i asked uh, the Timbers about having Phil Neville on as a guest. The Timbers declined our request to have Phil Neville on uh, this podcast. I have reached out on multiple occasions to the Thorns about Lisa Bethal Mirage being on the podcast as a guest. They have not replied yet. Um, obviously, those invitations remain standing. There's no hard feelings on our part. Um, we are happy to have any and everybody from the PTFC universe on this podcast, but that's sort of where we are at right now. And as the season goes along, obviously we're going to have folks on um, and, and continue to try and build out that guest list, have some, have some voices other than mine and, and Mr. Chris Rivers on this pod. It'll, it'll be good to, to mix some folks. We in, are, you so. know, as, as the folks on YouTube, will see better together, better together. Uh, the, the welcome mat seriously <laughs> is, 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 is very much out. Uh, for yeah. for any of those folks would love to have them. definitely um the other story that came out of this week and this was part of of the list of, of questions that folks had was um the the civil lawsuit against andy polo um in which genesis alarcon his former partner was awarded six hundred thousand dollars by a jury um that's a very big deal obviously they're they're was an MLS investigation that um, that essentially concluded that the Timbers did not engage in a cover-up, but fined them $25,000 for not properly reporting it to the league. Um, we, we don't obviously know all of the behind-the-scenes details, but what we do know obviously about that situation, which happened about almost two years ago at this point, um, when, when they let him go, um, 
was that they were aware of the sort of incident that they sent Jim McCausland and, and another staffer out to um, in in the, the Polo household. And, and they they did end up re-signing him. He was on the roster. And until that incident became public, they kept him there. And, and Gavin Wilkinson, when he came on this podcast back around that time, said, um, you know, it was with the intent to eventually trade him. Uh, whether or not that's true, who knows? But what we do know is that this civil case is is one that found Polo liable for assault and battery against his his former partner uh, and the mother of his kids. Um, the the question now is how that would potentially be served to Andy Polo because Andy Polo uh, is currently playing professionally down in Peru. Um, uh, for Universitario uh, de Deportes, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and he is with the Peruvian national team. And so they they do have games in the United States this year. The question is, will he accompany the team uh, to those games? Because if he sets foot on U.S. soil, there is opportunity for them to to sort of serve that that lawsuit against him. And, and 600K, I mean, that's a, that's a major award. It it brings back of course the 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 feelings and and the um the thoughts from fans not just online but in real life uh about how that situation was handled and you know what would happen in a, a similar situation in the future with this club and and it was mishandled with the exception I mean, you, you know it was I mean, mishandled the, the, and the exception of Gavin Wilkinson being gone like it's the it's the the leadership at the club is is essentially the same at this point so so you know they if they are faced with this situation in the future obviously the hope on the part of everybody not just fans is that it's handled properly swiftly and with the the victims in mind but given the the previous track record obviously there are people in the community who who don't trust that something like that would be handled properly yeah i mean it, it, it you know there is i don't think there's been much question about this for a while there's certainly no question about it now it was mishandled oh the timbers didn't respond appropriately to it period i i i don't know that that's even a disputed point anymore oh you know but as you said the question is whether they are now in a better position to handle things like that properly because it's not like that was a completely out of the realm of possibility situation that could never recur. Oh, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Uh, my, my view is they, they haven't done enough to show people at least that they're in a better position to handle these kinds of situations in the future. Oh, but that doesn't necessarily go to whether they are in fact or not. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think the questions that people have uh, about them and, and about whether uh, sort of accountability has been has has been had uh, are fair questions and are reasonable questions that 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 folks can have in perfectly good faith. Um, and uh, and you know, I, I think the you know the the timbers are going to be under the weight of those questions until they demonstrate to people that they are better arranged and better suited to handle these sorts of difficult situations better, you know, in, in, in the future. Oh um, yeah. And that's just where, and, where and it sort that, of stands. Yeah, that is where it stands. And I, I think that that hinges a lot 
um, from the perspective of people in the soccer community, from people who are members of the Timbers Army, the 107ist, um, you know, the, the most passionate fans among the people in the soccer community is what does that communication look like? What do they say and and what do they do? I, I believe that, you know, back when Heather Davis was hired, she she said essentially, watch what we do. And so, you know, if that type of situation pops up in the future, people will be watching that and seeing sort of how the how the organization responds to these type of issues, to this type of criticism. Um, should should less significant issues pop up, uh, then obviously a, a very serious situation of alleged domestic violence. Um, how how women are treated, how how the soccer community in general is is treated, and and frankly how the organization chooses to connect to that community are all all big questions that will need to be answered regardless of what's happening on the field for the timbers in the coming years because they're they're fully you know lopped off essentially from the thorns now right obviously there is still the the interconnected relationship between the two clubs um the thorns rely on providence park to continue to to train this season and then to play their games as well um but but Merritt Paulson and Heather Davis and and the the PTFC front office are are now charting their sort of own course and what that looks like and inevitably how that compares to to how things progress with with the Bethals and and their ownership and approach to community building with the Thorns uh, is going to be examined in the coming years and is going to be I think something interesting to, to and look all at. that is why you know when you say watch what we do not what we say. And they, in light of this mishandling of, of a very si- serious situation with, with Andy Polo, they go hire Phil Neville, who and this is not to cancel or to condemn him. It's just to state the fact that in, what was it, 2011, he made a joke on Twitter about domestic violence. Like, why people can very reasonably and in good faith say that doesn't demonstrate to me <laughs> that you are in a better stead to handle these sorts of serious situations. And it's perfectly possible that that Neville, as he has said he has, has learned from that situation and 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 does take them more seriously than he did in 2011. Yeah, and that he could even be somebody that that plays a central role in them properly yeah, addressing that's, that. That's it total, is, that, is not that's by totally any possible. means out of the window. Oh, um, yeah. But look, I mean, when you have these sorts of errors in your past, making a move like hiring Phil Neville sort of with his particular uh, history on this is just going to kind of give rise to questions. And those questions are fair. We will obviously continue to, to keep an eye on all of those issues. In addition to obviously the, the, the soccer, which is coming up very soon for the, for the Portland Timbers, obviously next week is, is the season opener against Colorado. Um, that will get things rolling. It's kind of crazy that it just came up out of nowhere here. Um, you know, the, the 24th of February is, is when that game, uh, is at 7 30 PM kickover at Providence park. Um, MLS season pass required to watch that one. Um, I'm not covering the team anymore, but I've still got MLS season pass. So I'll, I'll be, I'll You'll be, be there watching that one. I'll, I'll be there, you know, virtually from, <laughs> from from my couch <laughs> but um but yeah i'll be i'll be watching I'm, I'm looking forward to that and um it's it's an interesting time for both clubs right now and one that um 
you know, obviously these this next month is going to be a little more focused on the Timbers just because they'll be playing real games. But uh, but no shortage, I think, of, of narratives and discussion points on the Thorns Never. front uh, and excited to excited to talk about both uh, throughout this season podcast, obviously, as folks may already be aware is is still going to keep rolling even though i am not on the day-to-day beat um i'm i'm keeping up with this stuff and then the the oregonian uh, will continue to cover the timbers and thorns right now that's obviously obviously still a question as to how we we plan to handle that but um all will be made clearer in the coming weeks as as folks continue to tune in and read and everything else as, as the season gets going so uh that'll wrap it for us on soccer made in portland for chris reifer i'm ryan clark thanks for joining us y'all and uh follow us on twitter at soccer made in pdx at chris reifer at ryan t clark like us subscribe to us leave a review um all of the podcasts for the oregonian can be found through the Oregonian sports page on the podcasts uh, app if you have Apple uh, and then through Spotify as well on, on the it, it, basically all of them are streaming through there now so uh, that's that's an important note for folks who may be wondering where they can find this podcast find Ducks Confidential which I am also co-hosting with James Crepier I'm a pod boy what can I say um, the pod father, maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll reel that one back in, but, uh, thanks y'all for joining us and, uh, we'll see you next week.